Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. When natural disasters strike, scientists have to work quickly to warn people to keep them safe. Now, the Earth is capable of producing tremendous explosions, violent movements like earthquakes and underwater volcanic eruptions. And when these happen, they can produce events like tsunamis that can lead to many risky situations. So how can they provide warning with enough time to get people to safety? This week, we dive into the disaster preparation warning systems that scientists are always improving. Now, the Earth is capable of some pretty spectacular and violent forces. These are most evident when we have dramatic events like earthquakes or tsunamis or volcanic eruptions, maybe even cyclones. But Sperithor for the people of Tonga in early 2022 have undertaken not only the global pandemic that we're all facing, but tropical cyclones and, of course, a volcanic eruption. And on top of that, as a result, well, tsunamis as well. People have to deal with an awful lot facing down on them. And what particular has just happened? As part of the large volcanic island change of the Tonga Kamadek Island Volcanic Arc, well, one of those islands, or rather just in between the two edges of islands, Hunga Tonga and Hunga Haapai, is an underwater volcano. And this underwater volcano has been erupting for hundreds of years. I mean, we have observed it with modern scientific instruments, but of course, the Tongan mythology has long talked about this island as being a place which jumps back and forth, where the land jumps back and forth. Of course, a reference to the earthquakes. And in 2009, a spectacular eruption actually breached the sea level, and we actually created a island out of the overflowing rocks. Now, when that rock landed, and also the ash and the dust clouds all settled, it actually created an island. And unlike many other islands that are created by such underwater volcanic eruptions, this one has lasted and is continuing to last. Scientists reckon it actually has a fair chance of being one of the only around three or so in the last 150 years of new actual islands formed by underwater volcanic eruption. Nevertheless, 2019, 2014, 2015, there's been some major eruptions and tsunamis. But just now, in late December 2021 and then early 2022 in January, there's been some pretty spectacular eruptions. And so much so that these can be captured amazingly on satellite imagery, had aftershocks and shockwaves that were felt in atmospheric pressure changes all the way over here in Australia, and tsunami warnings issued for anything bordering the South Pacific, which includes, of course, New Zealand, other Pacific Islands, and Australia as well. And the tsunamis that have actually hit are pretty big in size, around 1.2 metres that hit some of the islands in Togo and around half a metre that hit American Samoa. Now, this is a pretty good example of what can happen when you have an amazing force like the Earth is capable of producing in a volcanic eruption occurring underwater. Because when this large eruption happens, it creates a huge shockwave that blasts stuff up into the upper atmosphere and spreads far and wide. But it also shifts the sea level substantially, and that can cause, obviously, tsunamis that can have widespread effects across the world. While this is an example of a spectacular event, such eruptions, earthquakes and tsunamis aren't rare. And it's difficult to understand because they are such complex scientific phenomena involving pressures under the Earth's seas and under the Earth's crust itself. And modelling and predicting these makes for very difficult work. The best that we can do is have accurate forecasting and analysis of when these events happen. 
The stories we're going to focus on today are actually some stories around how we can better understand, analyze, and provide early warnings for events like tsunamis, along with ways we can investigate and try to make better predictions about things like earthquakes. Now, in the case of the Hungatonga eruption, it was a pretty spectacular event. It's visible from space, and, well, the people in the landmasses closest by to it had a pretty big warning, that being the incredibly loud eruption of a volcano to get to higher ground. But that's not always the case with tsunamis. Sometimes tsunamis can be formed by events really, really far away and travel a very long distance across the ocean, resulting in huge and sometimes surprising impacts on land. That is really why we have put in place great warning systems scattered across some of the largest oceans like the Indian and the Pacific Ocean to attempt to pick up the movements in the ocean level to warn of some tsunamis as they traverse their way across. Tying that with, of course, seismic data, you can get a good warning system. The problem is, it is still slow because you have to wait for the thing to happen and then you've got to detect it, analyze it, get the message out and hopefully get people to where the warning might be actually up to higher ground. All of that takes time. So even saving a few minutes is incredibly valuable. And that's what researchers published in the Journal of Geophysical Research called Solid Earth. And researchers Jiheng Lin, Hiroaki To, and Takuto Minami from Kyoto University. Now, these researchers have been using data collected from some tsunamis that occurred in 2009 in Samoa and in Chile in 2010. And using this data from real world events, they have analyzed what happens in a tsunami and found some pretty strange correlations. Now, the thing about a tsunami is that the large movement of the ocean can create a huge wave. It's just basically simple physics. You displace the ocean in one spot, well, that wave is gonna propagate all the way until it hits the edge of something to bounce back. And that's gonna happen no matter if you drop a pebble in the ocean or drop a incredibly large continent or maybe shift and lift the earth up. All of these are ways of basically just displacing huge volumes of water. That's what happens in an underwater eruption or a detonation of a large bomb or explosion, or even just something more straightforward like a really large part of an iceberg falling off into the water. These can all trigger tsunamis of various sizes. Now, thinking about what happens when you move a large volume of water, you can of course detect its waves progress as it moves across the ocean, but the ocean is deep. So the actual impact when you're in deep water ocean is actually not that much movement. It's only when you get close to shore that it actually starts to be a really substantive shift and also a really big wave. Now, the thing is, when the Earth is moved in such way, you can also actually track it in a couple of other ways. And researchers were specifically looking at here the magnetic fields that are produced because seawater is pretty conductive and when you move it through the earth's magnetic field especially if you move a lot of it it actually produces a noticeable magnetic field wave now of course this is ahead of the physical wave itself because you're basically changing the magnetic field properties of the earth in a region around or leading out of the wave because they give it like a shockwave or lightning. Now you see the flash of lightning because lightning travels faster. You see that well before potentially, or at least hopefully you hear it 
depending on your proximity to that event. And that's the same thing that happens here. The volume of water that is being moved is changing the magnetic field, but you actually get that inference earlier ahead of where you would actually get it from actually just looking the water change itself. And this is a logical hypothesis that follows simply from knowing that water, seawater is having some conductive effect on the magnetic field. But it wasn't until these researchers really dived into actual experimental data looking at magnetic field variation from two real world tsunamis that they could actually get sufficient data to prove this hypothesis. Now, what they also saw is that they could use this magnitude change in magnetic field not only to get an early warning, but also to get a good estimate of the actual tsunami wave's height. Both of these things are really important because what we're trying to measure is effectively the displaced volume of water. Reading the height at sea can be a bit difficult and misleading because you've got to know the exact depth of the ocean at that point. And you really, really care about it when it gets close to land, but it's easy to read then, but way too late. And what the authors found is they could on a sea level deep depth of around 4,800 meters, they could get around one minute of saving. Now, if the water's shallower, well, then you get less saving, but if the water's deeper, you get more time saving. And this is really important because it gives scientists and more importantly, disaster responders, more time potentially to respond in the event of tsunami. So the researchers to prove this hypothesis had to marry sea level change information, which they collected in these experiments, together with magnetic field data and the theoretical simulation that they'd built. And they looked at simultaneous measurements of sea level change from seafloor pressure data and magnetic fields during both of these tsunamis. And they found the primary arrival of the magnetic field wave change is pretty much in line with what we get with the seismic wave. The seismic wave, of course, also travels out ahead of the actual physical water moving. Um, that's how we can detect it on all kinds of other warning systems. So the magnetic field wave is moving sort of like in step with that wave. And the volume of water that's being shifted up and then down and then displaced, well, that comes afterwards. And the thing about the magnetic field variation is that even if you have a tsunami wave height of around a few centimeters, so a really small wave, this magnetic field variation is still substantial enough that you're actually able to pick it up, which makes it really amazing. You can actually detect really tiny things that are sometimes often hard to discern from the noise of seismic activity and tie that actual back to a tsunami. And this is a great example of how researchers can use data collected from these disasters and analyzing more than different source data seismic, sea level, atmospheric pressure, and also magnetic field. Bring these together with models to actually get good theoretical understandings of how these waves work, which they can then use to apply to predictions, which helps them make estimates, accurate estimates on actual arrival times and wave heights, which is really what people need to know when they're trying to evacuate. This is some great research published in the Journal of Geophysical Research with researchers from Kyoto University, Shiheng Lin, Hiroko Tao, and Takuto Minami. A volcanic eruption is not the only way to generate a tsunami. And one of the common causes of a tsunami is, of course, a tsunami earthquake. An earthquake that occurs 
under the water, under the ocean floor, and creates thus a large tsunami. But the problem has actually always been around predicting and understanding the size of that tsunami. And that's what a paper published in the journal Nature Geosciences from University of Hawaii, Manoa. Researchers like Kwok Fai Chung, Ton Lai, Lin Sun and Yoshiki Yamazaki have been diving into. Now, what has really confused researchers for a very long time is that earthquakes of similar seismic magnitudes can produce widely varying actual tsunami wave heights. And this has confounded researchers without really a good explanation for why. And to dive into this, they had to build a simulation model and marry that up against actual some real-life data. And when trying to model a tsunami and earthquakes, it's a pretty complex thing. You've got to look at earthquakes' magnitudes, the depth, and where exactly it happened. And the plates that the, is around, what are they actually doing? Are they subducting? Are they slipping past her? And at what depth underneath the ocean surface? This is a really complex computer model that had to incorporate physical processes that produce these earthquakes and how they propagate out across the ocean, and then tie that back to, of course, observations of real-world events, including a lot of those that are actually classified as tsunami earthquakes. Now, one of the things that they found is that for a given earthquake magnitude of size, you can get a pretty large divergence in tsunami size. If the earthquake rupture extends to a shallow depth and it's in a less rigid part of the tectonic plate, well, you actually end up with a really large tsunami comparatively than if the earthquake actually was deeper in the ground. Why this occurs, Kwakai Fochong, a professor of ocean resources and engineering at University of Hawaii Manoa, outlines in a subduction zone, the upper plate is thinner and less rigid than the under-thrusting plate near the trench. A concentrated near-trench or shallow rupture produces relatively weak ground shaking, as recorded by seismometers. But the displaced water in the overlying ocean has enhanced energy and produces shorter tsunamis waves that amplify at a higher rate as they move towards the shore. It's a really complex way of saying that in the subduction zone, where you actually have the plates going down underneath another plate, you end up with the one of the plates, the upper one, the one that's about to get subducted. That one is stretched out and is thinned. So if you have an earthquake underneath that, well, the shaking isn't as violent, but the movement is larger in amplitude, in size. And the plate itself moves, which means the water is displaced more. The more water is displaced, the more actual movement occurs for the tsunami wave. In other words, the ocean floor wobbles and thus the water above it also wobbles. If the ground is really rigid or the impact is much deeper down and the plate is thicker, well, it doesn't shake as much, the ground that is, and that means that you have actually less movement of the ocean and thus less tall tsunami waves for potentially the same magnitude size seismically of earthquake. And this raises a really serious question. Is actual earthquake magnitude really an accurate predictor of tsunami size? Well, that's a hard thing to do because actually getting a full detailed picture of an individual earthquake takes time. And okay, if you're having an earthquake that occurs in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and you're waiting for the wave to arrive at New Zealand or Australia or Samoa, that gives you a little bit of time to analyze and react. But if it occurs 
in a neighboring island, well, that doesn't give you very much time to do a detailed seismic analysis. But this kind of modeling and analysis can help paint out regions and so that you know, oh, if an earthquake occurs around here, okay, well, we know the characteristics of that part of the ocean so they can researchers can make a more accurate prediction on tsunami height and give better, more reliable warnings. Making predictions about the height and the depth and the location of a tsunami is difficult, but the better understanding we have of the plate tectonics and the height of that earthquake occurring at, the better prediction we can make about the actual size and shape of that tsunami. If we tie this research together with the other previously mentioned research earlier, we can really work on ways of improving and analyzing tsunamis better, and more importantly, faster, so that we can provide adequate warning to people. And this is just but one piece of the puzzle. This research was published in Nature Geosciences by lead researcher Huak Fai Shung, Don Lai, Lin Sun, and Yoshiki Yamazaki. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From underwater earthquakes to volcanic eruptions, tsunamis can have a pretty devastating impact, but scientists are working in ways to better understand how they're formed and how to detect them. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.